Last time we did a survey, we found out that we have over 50 countries represented in our congregation. Our cultural heritage is rich, isn't it? If you look around and you see that between in here and the fellowship hall, because we have flags that couldn't fit here, if you see that your country of heritage is not represented between here and the fellowship hall, please let us know because last time we made some purchases of some more flags and the last time before that we made some more purchases of flags because every time you're telling us, hey, my country's not represented, we want to make sure that it is. So by next time, yours can be represented. So please let us know between in here and the fellowship hall though. So make sure you check there too. We are very uh, excited to celebrate not only diversity and, and the, the richness of where we all come from, but also Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who draws us together. And that is who we celebrate today. Special thanks to Tia Ruth for this and Ava's outfit today. We represent Mexico and Indonesia, our, boy, our guys in our family are representing Indonesia. <laughs> and we look forward to hearing from you what countries or places of your heart and heritage you are representing today. Would you pause with me as we open up the word of God, pray before we open up the word of God. Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty of this worship for the language, for the music, for the sign language that spoke another language to us visually this morning. We have been so blessed by it all. May your Holy Spirit move among us, turning our eyes, as Roger just played, towards Jesus now. We ask that you would speak to us. Settle us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the richness of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Linford Christie arrived on the scene in Atlanta in 1996 as the champion for the 100-meter dash. He had won that gold medal in 1992 in Barcelona at the old age old age for a runner, of 32. So now here he was in Atlanta at 36 years old, and this would be his last Olympic Games. So he was ready to defend this title. And he was doing really well. He was running exceptionally well and beating out everyone. But when he got to that final lineup for the 100-meter dash, it was formidable. There were, of course, all the people that had been in Barcelona with him, the silver medalist and the bronze medalist. And then there were those that were reigning champions in the 200-meter dash and then in other championships that have now come to their first Olympic race. They were going down the line and saying, he's the old man there, the 36-year-old runner. There was no room for mistakes. So everyone was holding their breath. It's a quick race, 100 meters, very, very quick. Ready, set, they went down into the blocks and then the gun fired. And about two seconds, three seconds into the race, ah, they called it. 
a false start. In a rare moment, Linford Christie had jumped the gun and started racing before it was time. So they all went back. He had one more chance. Remember, it's two times till you're disqualified. So they all lined up, ready, set, and the gun went off. And then they called it again, three seconds after it had started. They went back. They were like, what happened? What happened? It was another runner. A different runner had jumped the gun. Everyone was on the edge. Okay, this is the third time. Let's see if we can actually have a race. Ready, set, gun went off. Again, called it, start back. Everyone's looking confused, like what happened? And the look on his face was the most confused because they said you had your second false start. Man, when you watch this video, the replays of this, your heart sinks for him. His last Olympics, he's the defending champion and they have just called it. He is disqualified from the race. Watching the officials walk him off where he stood on the sidelines and watched someone else take gold was heartbreaking. False starts. Everyone was amazed at this race because it was one false start after another false start after another false start. It was, can we finally start and see the race happen? Everyone was wondering. I think that was a bit of what we're looking at today in the book of Ezra. It's that moment when you just come to it and you're just so ready and eager to go and then ah, you get going too fast and then you're not able to keep going. We have those moments, those false starts, those things where you think it's going to go and then it doesn't go. And in 521 BC, the people of God had a false start. Because remember, we laid the foundation. The altar was first, and then they laid the foundation, and they celebrated the Lord, and they said how good it is to be in the house of God, to be celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of God after so long in exile. They were there. They were ready. They were here for it. And then at the first sign of trouble, after laying the foundation, after laying down the altar, after worshiping first, they did not move forward. It was a false start, a, a delay that lasted 16 years. Remember where we started at Ezra chapter 1, that when God gives the vision, God will also provide the means to accomplish it. Then in Ezra chapter 3, when they really did lay this foundation in spite of all that was going on around them, we said, despite my fear, I'm going to build an altar of praise right here. And then last week in Ezra chapter 4, that's where we see this major delay that when you have vision, you can plan on opposition because they were, they were just immediately opposed as soon as they started to get that start, as soon as they started to get their pacing, they were opposed. And for 16 years, let that sink in again. For 16 years, they were delayed in the plan and the vision that God had planned for them. Now let's look to the prophet 
Haggai to find out a little bit more of the background before we go on in Ezra chapter 5. We want to see a little bit of the broader context. So it's those minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, you know? I always sing that song that Josiah and I learned the minor prophets with. It's very helpful songs to learn those minor prophets. Turn to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. We'll start in verse 2. It says, this is what the people of God were saying. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They were procrastinating. The time's not yet here. No, 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 it's not going to be time yet. And so they keep delaying. And then the word of the Lord comes through the prophet Haggai, verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Paneled houses was a sign of luxury, that they were living in luxury while they still had not fulfilled the vision God had given them. This is what God sent Haggai to share. And then he says in verse 6, You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. You're trying to continue on living as if you don't know what God has called you to. But it's going to mean that what you have, the the things that you're doing, are never going to feel like enough. And so this is the context that Haggai shares with us. How will God get the people back on track? How will God get these people who have been focusing and fixated on their own needs and on their own houses, how will God get these people that have delayed and procrastinated for 16 years back on the vision that God has called them to? Now you can go to Ezra. Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5 and starting in verse 1. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, son of Zozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. It's not a very long description But it also tells us a lot. The prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah began to prophesy. We have written records of their prophecies so we know what God said through them. I want to take you a little bit on a a survey of what they shared with them. Continuing there, you can turn back to Haggai for a moment. Continuing there in verse 8, notice what Haggai said to them. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So Haggai first calls them out on what they're doing, says you're living in luxurious paneled homes while this home remains in ruins. And then there's a direct appeal, a call to go up, to bring down timber and to restart, to begin the work on the vision God gave you. So he calls them back to what they were called to from the beginning. If you turn one book over to Zechariah, you can read something Zechariah shared with the people. Verse 16, 
Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord. The measuring line saying the construction has begun again. Notice how these books and this time in history fit together. Ezra is the story of the people of God that have stopped this work. They started this work and then they stopped this work. And Haggai and Zechariah are the messages, the recorded messages of what those prophets said to re-inspire them, to call them back after a 16-year delay so that they would begin the work again. So Zechariah and Haggai start by saying the work will continue. God calls you to take down timber. God says, I will show you mercy and you will start rebuilding again. You will do the work that I have called you to do. Then if you go back, just flip another page back to Haggai chapter 2, or you can read it on the screen, Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Notice that both, we're going to read it next in Zechariah, but Haggai and Zechariah both mention the leaders. They specifically call out the leaders so that they can be encouraged and strengthened too. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. These are the people that we just read about in Ezra chapter 5. These are the people being called on to lead the people back to the vision. Now flip another page, it's Zechariah, the message he also shares. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 9 says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple his hands will also complete it. Then you will know the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This is the, new, the Old Testament equivalent of the verse where God says, I will finish the work that I have started in you. To Zerubbabel, that's what comes across here. That, that don't be stressed, don't be worried because you laid the foundation, you will also complete it. The one who started this will complete it. Do you recognize that message and how encouraging this would have been to Zerubbabel? This is actually the verse right before one of my favorite Old Testament verses. Zechariah 4 and verse 10 is my favorite. Who dares despise the day of small beginnings? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. One translation says this, the Lord delights in small beginnings. The Lord delights to see the work begin. You might say I'm only right here. You might say it's only a small thing, but God delights to see you take that step. God delights to see you take that one faithful step that you've been called to. And so this verse, don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despise the fact that you're now going out there and laying a measuring line and calling the people together, that it's not done, so somehow it's not good. The Lord delights to see the work begin. This is a really encouraging word for anyone setting out, starting out on the vision that God has given you. For any of us regrouping and finding our footing, 
this is an encouraging word from God that God actually delights in the setting out, the starting out, the next faithful step. God raised up the prophets to give people a vision for what could be, to call them back to what God had commanded them to do. They prophesied over the people. They held on to and spoke hope, believing in what could be that was not yet. It's like Paul who says in Romans chapter 4, 17, this about God. This is the ASV. It says, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made thee before him whom he believed, even God who giveth life to the dead and calleth the things that are not as though they were. I love how Paul says this, that God actually looks out into our lives and into the world and calls what is not as though it were. God is able to see the vision that is not yet happening in your life, to see that calling that is not yet fulfilled, and to speak as though it were. That's what Paul is reminding us of here, and that's what Zechariah is reminding the people of. These prophets spoke to what was not as though it were. People that were divided and doing their own thing and polarized from one another, just going about their own business, were called back, united to the call and the vision of God. He, they spoke to what was not as though it were. And in Ezra chapter 5, verse 2, we see that the prophets were right there helping them. Now, it's not likely they were right there building. Actually, the translation of this word is that they were offering prophetic messages that encouraged their hearts. They were helping them by the messages that they brought that held on to hope. Can you imagine them there coming alongside with those who were building and saying, yes, we'll see this happening. You can do it. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward with this vision. The prophets moved the leaders to action, and the prophetic voice moved the people to join the leaders so that they could restart the building of the temple again. The role of the prophet is so strong in this section. I'm wondering, who are the prophets in your life? Who are those people that remind you of who you are? Who are the people that remind you of what you're called to be? as a person, as a professional, as a parent? Who are the people that gather around you and call you to what you are in God? And who are the people you are meant to encourage, speaking prophetically into someone else's life, the words spoken, the encouragement given, helping someone on the pathway towards their calling? This prophetic voice mattered so much to the people. It caused them to rise up and follow after the vision again. In Ezra chapter 5, though, it's not the end of the story. We continue in Ezra 5, verse 3. It says, at that time, Tatanai, governor of trans-Euphrates, and Shalthazar, Bozanai, and their associates went to them and asked, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? They also asked, what are the names of those who are constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. As soon as they restart the vision, what happens? As soon as there is vision, 
there's opposition again. There's questions. Who authorized you to do this? You might have this come in the form of a voice from inside your head or in your life. What makes you think you can do that? What makes you think you can do this? So they restart, but again they face opposition. The opposition that comes in our life or in our collective life as a church or in our individual life cannot be expected just once, but again and again. But notice verse 5, the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. This phrase is a little unusual. We might expect the hand of God. We might expect protection over the people or that God's presence was like a shield round about them. But the eye of God is said to be their protection that God was watching them. We might feel discouraged, we might meet obstacles, but we remember that we are not alone, that God's loving eye is on us. Psalm 33, 18 to 19 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them from famine. We might say today, God's eye watches over those who fear him those who reverence the Most High. God keeps watching over his people so that even as they make this progress, they know that God is keeping an eye on them. So in Ezra chapter 5, 6 to 17, there's a letter that is written by those who are asking questions, and they write it to the king, and they say basically the same question. Who gave them authority? Do they have the authority to rebuild this temple? And they point out that there's rapid progress going on in verse 8. That they are making this rapid progress and who told them that they could do this. Notice in verse 16, it says, So this Sheshbashar came and laid the foundations of the house of, the God, of God in Jerusalem. From that day to the present, it has been under construction but is not yet finished. Now, if it pleases the king, let a search be made in the royal archives of Babylon to see if King Cyrus did, in fact, issue a decree to rebuild this house of God in Jerusalem. Then let the king send his decision to us in this matter. Verse 16 is the last part of a quote where these officials that are questioning are quoting the Jewish elders who are saying, here's what happened. King Cyrus told us we could do this. That's what authority we have. But notice the Jewish exaggeration here, that from the very beginning, we have been laying the house of God. From the very beginning, we've been putting down the foundation and laying down the altar and rebuilding. Now, commentators really share that this is a little strange for them to stretch the truth here because we know from Haggai and Zechariah that all progress stopped for 16 years. However, they are wanting to stress the authority that they had from Cyrus. They're wanting to stress that that they, even though they disobeyed the order, they had the order, they had the, the right to move forward. So in Ezra chapter 6, Darius responds, and he says to them multiple things. He goes through this process of researching the difficult records, and he finds the scroll from Cyrus. He says that they are to stay away from Jerusalem, that Tatanai and his companions are to not hinder the work. They say that he, they are commanded to help with the cost of the project. Tatanai and his colleagues in verse 8 to 10 are to help with those costs. And then he says that Tatanai and his companions are to provide for the sacrifices at the temple 
so that the people could pray for the king and his sons. And if that isn't a clear order enough, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 6, he says, anyone who doesn't obey this will be put to death. Just in case you were wondering, you can be put to death. Notice the mercy of God in this section. That not only does God give the vision and the means to accomplish it at the beginning of the book of Ezra, but when the people lose their way, when they're not continuing forward in obedience to what God has called them to, when God calls them back, he sends prophets and leaders to lead them. But then God also mercifully gives them everything they need to accomplish it one more time. God provides again the resources and the offering and the vision so that they can keep it going. Even after fear and complacency and preoccupation stopped the people from focusing on what they were called to, even after all of that, God sent them what they needed to keep the vision moving forward. Perhaps there's something you used to do. Perhaps there's a vision you started but never went back to. You used to have family worship, but now you don't. You used to volunteer at church, but now you don't. You used to have a prayer life that, that felt real and alive, but now you don't. You used to find yourself talking with people about God, but now you don't. What was it for you? What is that you used to? We can find ourselves wor worried and worn down like they did too. Stress and busyness and life preoccupation with our own goals perhaps you find yourself wandering from the intimacy that you had once with Jesus how do we begin again in the book of Ezra we note that God sends what's needed yet people respond God did not rebuild the temple himself that's important to notice. God didn't send down legions of angels to come down and say, I'm just going to do it right alongside you. I'm going to provide for you by sending angels to rebuild this temple. God sent inspiration instead. And God raised up and used people to accomplish the will of God. Haggai and Zechariah were ready to prophesy. The leaders responded. The people rose up and rebuilt again. Starting again comes from God, but it gains momentum as we follow, as we say yes. We must obey in saying yes to the next steps. We must say yes to where God is leading us. God is the one who provides the way, and we say yes to following after what God is leading us to. I will always remember this couple uh, that came to me at a church that I pastored. They had decided it was over. They had said, we tried our very best, but we're heading to a divorce. And yet after they told me that in worship services, God kept pricking their heart and convicting them. And so they came back and they said, we don't know what it looks like, but we don't want to go that way. And so I referred them to a marriage counselor. They started therapy. We prayed together. We talked with each other. We met together. And it was a long process. This was a process of over a year. They worked through and they wrestled through what does it look like to begin again. But I will always remember standing there in that park, standing there in that park on that day where they had sparkle in their eyes 
at the new beginning that God had given them as they renewed their vows. And I invited them to say, this is a fresh start. You've done the hard work. You've laid the foundation. And now you are beginning again. I will always remember that moment. I, I remember another person who was feeling convicted to change careers and yet it made no sense. They were like, this is ridiculous, it's ludicrous. Everyone says, you're so established, you have all you need, the retirement is going to come, but yet I know God is calling me to step forward. And they did, they stepped forward in the degree program, they graduated, they started doing this other work, and I saw them with eyes dancing with joy. They said, it didn't make any sense, but I am so deeply fulfilled in this. It was a new start. It was a fresh beginning. I believe this is what Christianity brings to the world. That we are those that hold on to hope. That we are those who say it's never too late to start again. We are those who firmly believe that our God is a God of mercy and of second and third and fourth chances. That our God is able to take a marriage that has fallen apart and bring it back together again. That our God is a God who says, you started off down that path, but I can bring you back. That we've witnessed, we've seen people that struggled with addiction and they were able to be set free and set on a different path. That it's never too late to start again. So when the people of God face these roadblocks, when the people of God are not moving forward in obedience, God sends prophets. God speaks into their life. The leaders rise up. The people rise up and they start again. But notice, they had to take a faithful step to be open. But God provided the mercy all over again. God provided faithfully all over again so that they could rebuild so that they could fulfill the dream and the vision that God had planned for them. So I'm here to tell you today that the word of God speaks that it's never too late to start again. That it's never too late to start renewing your prayer life, to start a relationship with your kids that you haven't had, to uh, maybe it's like them, you feel convicted that your marriage is not called to be what it is right now. It's never too late to start again. Children of God, we are called to new starts, to new beginnings, to renewal, and to hope. As I've been studying this book of Ezra, um, it's particularly timely because I feel like we're rebuilding so much after COVID. And I feel like we had so many false starts, like the gun going off and, oh, no, 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 come back. Oh, no, yes, you can. Oh, no, 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 come back. All the false starts, like that beginning uh, illustration, all of the stories that we have lived, this false starts. And as a leader, I can put my trust in so many places about rebuilding the church. The ability to cast vision, the ability to strategic plan, the amazing people. I find most of all, I put my trust in amazing people that God sends to us. But I'm reminded again in this chapter that God is sovereign and God is worthy of all of our trust of all of my trust, that God is the only one that can bring the renewal and the fresh start, that God moves forward and calls us to recapture the vision. With COVID, we've been rebuilding after COVID. 
a community life together. And we've had all of these different times where we have thought that it would take a turn this way and it ended up going a different way. And even all the false starts with our kitchen and with our community center. But here we find ourselves, just like the people of God in 521 B.C., responding to the faithfulness of God, and we start again. We have fantastic leaders like Zerubbabel and Joshua and Haggai and Zechariah, but more than anything else, when I look around at the fantastic leaders and people God has sent us, I am reminded that God's eye of mercy is over us. The word mercy is the Hebrew word hesed, and it's God's covenant faithfulness, God's love that won't let us go. So more than the resources, more than the leaders God sends, more than the people that gather is this God who holds it all together. That it's about the sovereign, loving, committed, faithful God who makes covenant that won't let go. That's why we have hope. That's why we can believe. That's why we speak that which is not as if it were. That's why we start again. That's why I say to you, it's never too late to start again because of our sovereign and faithful and merciful God, the said of God who won't let go.